And uh, a bit light uh, here this week. Uh, we only have one of our youth political panelists uh, today. And this time it's the Greens. Uh, there was quite a hostile reaction to our uh, national-only um, show a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and I'm sure that, uh, you know, Radio 1's liberal listeners will be much more approving of um, your solo platform here, Will. Uh, but it's a good week uh, to to give you some extra time to talk because uh, you're involved in the student voice protest group that spoke out against the uh, destruction of student property by the Campus Watch brown shirts last week. Uh, and you guys had a big protest the day after our last week's show. How did that go? It went fantastically. Um, about 170 people turned up. We had national media coverage. Uh, everyone was really, you know, frustrated and angry about what's been happening on campus. And it, it was a really good day to show the university that they can't keep suppressing and controlling staff and student voice. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, it was probably one of the largest student protests in recent memory, um, slightly bigger than the humanities cuts stuff of the last couple of years. I believe so, yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think, I mean, uh, of course, the the humanities cuts uh, issue was, of course, rolled into um, Friday's protest because it's the university seeking to suppress the voices of affected parties just like the staff and students of the humanities departments uh, that is just a a symptom a microcosm of um, yeah. what we saw with campus watch overstepping their bounds so what's next for you guys what came out of the protest what's the um, how are we gonna keep campus watch in check I mean the new proctor it was good for him to have this learning experience that uh, he shouldn't push it too far early on in his career, but at the same time, it's probably just going to serve to make him a bit more cunning. Uh, <laughs> and in a way, he did dodge pretty successfully uh, rolling out the apology. Um, you know, I think previous years, different critics, staff, and different OUSA execs might have um, held him a bit more to account. Uh, what's next for you guys? Are you guys going to fulfill that role of making sure this doesn't happen again, uh, given that Critic and OUSA just seem to graciously accept the apology? Yeah, well, we see ourselves as having two jobs. We, the first job is to raise awareness and lobby against uh, suppression and control of staff and student voices at, um, at this campus and at other campuses around the country. And our second job is to be a megaphone for those who are being suppressed. And so... We're not just a um, a one-trick pony. We, we weren't just that protest. It's an ongoing movement that's really going to be uh, breaking out next semester um, after exams and everything. Um, and so, yeah, we, we are going to be holding everyone, um, the university, accountable. And I think uh, I think part of the issue um, with OUSA and Critic um, is that VSM, really, yeah. that their, their powers have been um, chained by being financially dependent upon the university and how how much funding they give them through the student services fee. And so one of we we've got four demands and one of them is OUSA independence. So they are to to change that so they're no longer financially dependent upon the university. Our second is to we need the university to train Campus Watch in their legal rights, what they can do on campus, what they can't do. The third is simply to 
stop end censorship on campus to allow staff and students to speak their mind without threats and our fourth is to is for the university to if they disagree with something actually come out and say it instead of hiding behind a third party you know no matter who made the decision to take and destroy the critic last week last week's critic um, it speaks to a culture at the university where they where people in power think they can just go over students heads and just make decisions without consulting mm. which is a real systemic problem totally happens time and time again now you guys have been attempting to get some answers uh over what did in fact happen there and um you know if it was just a campus watch agent gone rogue or if it came all the way from the clock tower have you guys had any success in getting those answers we, we did put an oia in yes and I, I believe the result is that it was just it was campus watch yeah um, but as I said, that doesn't really matter because Campus Watch are a part of the university. They were you know. thought they were going to get brownie points. If they <laughs> yeah, did this. Yeah. Yes. good initiative, Campus Watch. Good job destroying independent student media. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, it's um, that they they represent the university as the proctor does, as academic staff do, as non-academic staff do. Every, everyone is a part of the university, and saying it was just it wasn't the university that did it is is false. You mm, know. Mm. Yes, well, and of course, the university has bent over backwards to uh, introduce and enable Campus Watch, and uh, you know, it's it had uh, it it had to bed in before they thought they could get away with certain stuff, and you know, it even uh, was only in the last year or two that Radio One felt um, comfortable enough to run congratulatory ads favoring campus watch <laughs> which i think will uh you know if you've heard them will turn the stomach of every radio one listener who knows the actual <laughs> history but um you know hopefully this is the the uh breaking of that uh tide and and the reversing of that trend and it's it's good that you guys are doing that i, th I think it's really opened people's eyes up yeah yeah there's to the true nature of, there's been a lot of, of the university yeah 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 very good uh and what else has been in the news this week? Well, uh, one thing that's come out that uh, has been a long-running story and something that uh, was covered by previous iterations of this show over the years uh, was the meth testing uh, of homes yeah. uh, that we now know to be uh, completely pointless. <laughs> uh, and I want to talk about that in depth, but I did want to finish uh, the student thing by saying, you know, you identified one of the main culprits uh, sort of allowing this decline of student participation and student voice was VSM. Uh, and of course that could only be achieved under the national government. Uh, and it was one of the earlier acts of the national yeah. government when they got in and of course they were in for three terms so it seems like a long time now but is there any indication that there may be an appetite with the current government for bringing back uh, compulsory student unionism or at least the halfway house that we used to have before National flexed their muscles where certain unions could choose to compel the students to pay if they wanted and, and some did, some didn't. OUSA was really the last one that was strong yeah. and compulsory under that halfway system uh, which was brought in under the previous labor government but um, I think you know, are are we? I, I guess that's kind of one of the main political asks. You would think labor might consider it because it would be of benefit to them, yeah. but at the same time, um, you know, 
I don't think it benefits Labour alone. I think it benefits everyone uh, because having a strong student voice doesn't like hurt the university. Like we we don't want to see the university die or anything. We love the university. We want we want to see it thrive. But in order for the university to thrive, staff and students need to thrive, and that means active consultation, active democracy on campus. And I I, I think this um, that, that there could be an optimal road for sort of um, student unionship which is like um, it's opt out and student service fees go directly to the union so that means that if people don't want to be a part of the union they can leave but at the same time it doesn't have that drastic effect that we saw around New Zealand when VSM was introduced and like slashing um, unionship rates by half mm. and I think that that's probably the optimal scenario and I don't see why anyone particularly disagree because you know act say you know you've got the freedom of choice to leave the union if you want to you're not you're not made to be a part of it i think this could be a really non-partisan issue well and the university clearly recognizes the value of ousa because of course they didn't have to choose to prop up ousa through the service levy agreement you know yeah. that is you know the the chain around ousa's neck now but uh they could have just let them die yeah. uh, or sink or swim so the university at least sees some PR value in OUSA existing, uh, but obviously likes to be able to sort of pull the choke chain <laughs> yeah. occasionally. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they should put their money where their mouth is. And uh, let's not forget, though, it's not just healthy, it's not just good democracy and fair and nice. It's actually the legal obligation of the yeah. university vis-a-vis uh, -vis the Education Act. And a university wouldn't be a university. Um, you know, it would be a... Um, a business? In, uh, a school of propaganda indoctrination yeah. uh, if there wasn't these provisions of the Education Act to, to be the critic and conscience of society and to, to allow free speech, free expression, political experimentation, yeah, uh, etc. Yeah. 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 Okay, well, uh, there you go, Radio 1 listeners. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. That's uh, more <laughs> up your alley than uh, justifying Viv's existence. Oh, also, I'm um, sorry, um, Student Voice is having a panel tonight at 6 o'clock in the main common room about oh. control and censorship. Cool, um, who's going to be on that? Um, we have someone from the Tertiary Education Union. Um, we have someone from Students Against Sexual Violence, Otago. Um, and we have a couple of student voice people as well. It's going to be really good. Yeah. What time is that? 6 p.m. 6 yeah. p.m. in the main common room. Well, it's been a long time uh, since there was some actual grassroots political engagement in the main <laughs> common room. Uh, and I, I suspect your numbers are going to be better than the five or ten people that turned up to OUSA election forums, for instance. <laughs> so uh, I'd like to think so. Maybe yeah. this will be the start of, of that uh, grassroots political activity. Coming back to campus, you know, you heard me say this to you guys at the beginning of the year. Does it feel different now on campus? We're under labor government. Are the cool kids coming back? Are the young nats sort of <laughs> being seen for the, the commerce students that they are? And, and we didn't really, um, you know, everyone was sort of like, well, I don't know, I can't tell, maybe too early to tell, but maybe this is one of those first signs of uh, going back to the old days. Yeah. Uh, some of the rhetoric that you were espousing just there <laughs> uh, reminded me of... Ten years ago, the last time we had a labor government on campus, and uh, we still had to keep them honest. But um, yeah, there there was room for that. Uh, so good on you, Will, and good on you, Student Voice. Uh, we'll play a couple of tracks, including this first one from Electro Soul System, featuring Dizem, 
And, uh, yeah, that electronic music will get you in the mood for thinking about meth and uh, meth testing of bombs. <laughs> You're on the one, 91FM, Politics. Radio 1, 91 FM, Politrix, and uh, it would be remiss of me not to follow up on a uh, a story that, I mean, I don't want to say we broke, because nobody actually listens to this show, so <laughs> it doesn't really break uh, until lots of people hear it, uh, like they did when Russell Brown talked about it, but, um, you know, we... we got Russell interested in this story. I'm sure he was very independently interested, but we prompted him quite a bit, and we interviewed him on this show and uh, on Overgrown quite a few times about the the meth house testing rort. Uh, now, for me, someone coming from the United States, uh, you know, over-the-top prohibition propaganda of the, the 90s, um, I just basically know anything based around meth hysteria is a scam. That's the starting point. So you don't need to be smart to figure anything out, just as long as you know if anything is based around meth hysteria, it's a scam. Uh, so we knew this when, you know, Mike Sabin, uh, now a disgraced member of parliament, uh, before, right after he finished being a police member and started his meth con agency, uh, you know, trying to do education in schools about how one hit of pee will turn you into a scabby face picker like the uh, Montana Meth Project. You know, basically this is ex-cops from New Zealand uh, quitting the force to monetize their uh, abilities and connections and taking failed drug war models from the worst of the United States and trying to apply them in New Zealand. We saw this with Mike Saban's MethCon and we saw this, uh, you know, even after Mike Saban got in there as an MP used his power uh, to put bills in the private member's ballot to actually draft bills specifically to enable this type of industry and to ramp up the most failed portions of the drug war. Even after he was disgraced for uh, unspeakable acts um, and had to leave Parliament, we saw this next wave coming through uh, with the likes of Miles Stratford and his meth solutions. Now, uh, you know, I've been calling this out from day one, like I said, all you need to know is anything that's meth hysteria based is a con and it's fake. So as soon as I see something like that in the media, I say something on this show anywhere that will listen. Uh, but I wasn't really going to take the time to scroll back through my tweets and figure out, you know, who was first or when I actually said it. But uh, thankfully, someone else did and favorited my tweet. <laughs> and uh, it was actually in February of 2014 that I saw the first article in the Herald about the meth house testing and said, this is bullshit, just like the meth con. Uh, Miles Stratford wants the Auckland Council to pay for his business to test pea houses. And, well, guess what? Since then, we saw an explosion of the pea house testing. And, in fact, we know that it was from that very date of 2014, and it was only through outlets like Fairfax and the New Zealand Herald allowing Mild Stratford to pimp his business to clients like Housing New Zealand that this occurred because just on 
national radio this morning as part of the reporting now about the uh, you know exposed meth house testing scam because of Sir Peter Gluckman's intervention. In 2014, there were 28 houses tested for methamphetamine by Housing New Zealand. Last year, it was over 800. Jesus. They're for microscopic amounts of just someone who may have touched uh, someone who smoked pee and then touched the wall. They're ripping out the whole walls and ceilings and putting them back in at the cost of $100 million over the last three years to Housing New Zealand. Hundreds of tenants kicked out put on the blacklist as meth users, uh, all for flawed testing methodology run by dodgy ex-cops with a profit motive and a conflict of interest running the testing and the remediation businesses simultaneously. Uh, You know, a false positive is just as good an excuse to bilk tens of thousands of dollars out of an old granny or an unsuspecting landlord, or the government for that matter. Um, And, you know, thank God this rort has finally come to an end, but the one thing we're not hearing from the media who's uh, all up in arms as to how this waste of money and human life could occur is what they did to enable it. Because there were independent voices with very low listenership and readership <laughs> uh, saying stuff like this as early as February 2014. In fact, you know, prior to any of the sales taking place. And all the while it was promoted and, uh, you know, sort of boosted by. The New Zealand Herald, Fairfax, TVNZ, News Hub. Um, the meth testing scourge is too good a story to let it pass by. Beating up on vulnerable drug users is too easy and fun for the media to generate clickbait headlines. They just can't resist it. Uh, and even if they knew it was scientifically flawed and there was waste of hundreds of millions of government dollars and you know human lives... Um, they just could not resist. And, you know, thankfully, Russell Brown did eventually find time in his schedule and uh, moral outrage to attack this issue head on. And he managed to get the uh, uh, toxicologist Nick Kim to explain in various fora um, the, the actual scientific basis behind this. So if it hadn't been for those interventions, you know, none of this would have been taken seriously. Um, but, you know, as I said in the beginning, there are those of us who just know as soon as we see ex-cops pimping meth panic, we know that, you know, some fraud, fraudulent game is afoot. This is how the drug war works, people. Uh, this is why we need to end it now. And um, so, yeah, yet another uh, victory lap here at Radio One uh, Political Research Department uh, for being out ahead of these stories. I mean, there are nefarious forces at work. There are conspiracies taking place with people in power and people with uh, conflicts of financial interest. So, um, yeah, just keep your eyes and ears open. Uh, Will, you you said you didn't know much about the meth house testing situation, um, but you've heard about it in the news. Uh, We gave a pretty good summary here just now. Uh, do you have anything anything to say about uh, that from the Greens' perspective? I mean, we know they're against the drug war and against yeah. uh, victimizing vulnerable people. Yeah. Um, yeah, what do you have to say? Well, I guess this is me taking off my student voice hat and putting on my campus Greens hat now. But, um, yeah, I think it speaks to why we need a, a health-based uh, approach to um, drug uh, drugs. Like, we shouldn't be, it shouldn't be punitive. Um, we should be 
helping people who have um who are addicted and who who need the help rather than being put in prison or getting kicked out of their state homes and if that were the case we wouldn't be having these punitive profit motive driven conspiracies well no longer conspiracies but um yeah, we it, wouldn't have industries growing up yeah. around punishing vulnerable people. Exactly, yeah. and it, it speaks to how New Zealand perceives people who are low income on the benefit. It's just an awful um, approach to take because a lot of people on the benefit don't want to be there, but it's the only option they have. And so we ought to be caring for these people and raising them up rather than driving them down, kicking them out of their houses. Well, that's the funny thing. A normal tenant who had a dodgy P test, you know, that uh, gave them some liability or threatened to end their tenancy with a private landlord uh, who had any means, would sue that landlord and say, this is not scientific, there's no basis of this. Yeah, yeah. But if you don't have the means to sue your landlord or you're a vulnerable beneficiary, uh, like the type you have to be to be eligible for housing New Zealand property, exactly. it's uh, easy pickings. And... Um, the people like Miles Stratford and uh, Mike Saban just hoovered them up uh, and uh, would, you know, ideally uh, in their world, hoover them straight into the private prisons that they would also have a yeah. profit interest in. Um, so we've got to be vigilant people. Luckily, there was a meth tester from Hawke's Bay who went on the record saying, oh, we all knew this was crazy and stupid. And it was quite funny because he made these sort of unguarded comments to a journalist and... Um, you wonder how deliberate he was being about it because, yeah. you know, uh, the way the article comes across is this guy's blowing the whistle of, oh, we all knew that this was dodgy. But uh, what the article doesn't mention is this guy kept on trading and uh, doing as much business as he could hand over fist, despite apparently knowing that it was all based on yeah. dodgy readings. Did he have a conscience or did he just fuck up? Well... Yeah. I'd, I'd have to say I think he doesn't have a conscience because he also happens to be the local spokesperson for the Sensible Sentencing Trust. Uh, so Please. these are the kind of people uh, that profit off fake meth hysteria and um, victimize the vo most vulnerable in our society to line their own pockets, uh, all while trying to uh, have the illusion of being on the moral high horse. Um, it's got to end, people. And uh, if you've been listening to politics for some time, I'm sure you will share that view. But that's going to be the last you're going to hear from us this week. Uh, but it won't be the last you hear from us ever. Uh, well, not until <laughs> I'm in the cold, cold ground, uh, if you know.